Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 12 of Across the Poor. This is a podcast that focuses on corporate governance, risk management, and the board of directors. Today I want to take a look at two things. One is the legal obligations of a board of directors around having a compliance function as set out by two seminal cases from the Delaware Supreme Court, and also the prudent discharge of those obligations as required under SEC regulations. It gives you a foundational look at the board's obligation. I think you will find it a fascinating discussion and give you a good background on what you need to brief your board on, or if you're a board of director member, what you need to know going forward. Across the Board is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Today, we'll take a look at the legal requirements for a board of directors around compliance. And our starting point is the state of Delaware for corporate law guidance. The first case to hold that a board had an obligation around compliance was the Caremark decision in 1996. In that case, it said a board's obligation includes a duty to attempt in good faith to assure that a corporate that corporate information and reporting system which the board concludes is adequate exists and the failure to do so under some circumstances may render a director liable for losses caused by noncompliance. The Caremark case addressed the board's duty to oversee corporations' legal compliance efforts. As part of its duty to monitor, the board must make good faith efforts to ensure that a corporation has adequate reporting and information systems. The opinion described this claim as possibly the most difficult theory in corporate law upon which a plaintiff might hope to win, with liability attaching only for sustained or systemic failure to exercise oversight or another failure to attempt to ensure a reporting information system. The next case the board looked at was Stone v. Ritter in 2006, and in this case, Court held that the Caremark standard is the appropriate standard for directors' duties with respect, to, with respect to corporate compliance issues. The court found that there is no duty of good faith that forms a basis, independent duties of care and loyalty for director liability. Rather, the court held that the question of director liability turns on whether there is a sustained or systemic failure of the board to exercise oversight such as a failure to attempt to assure a reasonable information and reporting system exists. Two commentators noted that the standard aims to protect shareholders by ensuring that corporations will adopt reasonable programs to detect, deter, and address violations of law and corporate policy while absolving the board from liability for corporate conduct so long that it has exercised responsibility with respect to the adoption, maintenance, of a, of a compliance and reporting system. Although the standard protects the board consistent with most uh, jurisdictions under the business judgment rule, it also follows that the board must follow through to address problems of which it has notice, and this may include modifications to existing compliance programs. Of course, this brings us to the business judgment rule. In the business judgment rule, it uh, takes a look at under what circumstances board members might be directly held liable for losses. 
Even disinterested, well-intentioned, and informed directors can make decisions that in hindsight were not correct or even negligent. Recognizing that business decisions frequently entail risk and uncertainties, many courts have sought a means of encouraging directors to enter into transactions that, although risky, have a potential for, for profit. This means that a director's liabilities are determined using, using if a director's liabilities were determined using traditional fiduciary principles, a court would be substituting its judgment for that of the director's, which is not intended or the appropriate way uh, to do so under the business judgment rule. Courts have recognized that in an uncertain inter- environment of business, boards need to be free to take risks without the fear of being sued for their business decisions. While corporate directors are expected to use their business judgment to advance the interests of corporations, they are not expected to ensure corporate success. Under the business judgment rule, courts will presume that disinterested directors making business decisions acted on an informed basis in good faith and with the honest belief that the action taken was in the best interest of the corporation. In lawsuits <clears throat> against directors brought by shareholders, either for themselves or derivatively, courts apply the business judgment rule and it will determine uh, whether the directors made the decision were free from conflicts of interest appropriately informed themselves before taking the action, and acted with due consideration of all relevant information that was reasonably available. Under the business judgment rule, the board's actions will not subject board members to liability if the actions or decisions of the director can be attributed to a rational, rational business purpose. Directors that meet this criteria do not have to worry about their business decisions being second-guessed by a court even where the decisions result in corporate losses. Now let's turn to the obligations under the FCPA guidance and the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines. Under the FCPA guidance, a director's duties are pretty well known and they're laid out in the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. In hallmark number one, entitled Commitment from Senior Management and a Clearly Articulated Policy Against Corruption, it states, within a business organization, compliance begins with the board of directors and senior executives setting the proper tone for the company. Under hallmark number three, entitled Oversight, Autonomy, and Resources, it discusses that a chief compliance officer should have direct access to an organization's governing authority, such as the board of directors or an appropriate committee thereof. The DOJ prosecution standard, as set forth in the sentencing guidelines, poses the following questions. Do directors exercise an independent review of a company's compliance program? And number two, are directors provided information sufficient to enable the exercise of this independent judgment? Now, failures can lead to serious consequences Uh, if a board has not followed these guidelines under the business judgment rule, under the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program, and even under the sentencing guidelines, uh, there can be personal, dire- uh, personal liability for directors. 
And both the SEC and Department of Justice have been very vocal about their interest in identifying high-level individuals within an organization who are responsible for the tone, culture, or weak internal controls that may contribute to or at least fail to prevent bribery and corruption. We've certainly had uh, actions against senior executives around this issue. The other issue regarding the board and risk management uh, is that the SEC desires boards to take a more active role in overseeing the management of risk, and this is all types of risk, within an organization. The SEC has promulgated SK-407, under which each company must make a disclosure regarding the board's role in risk oversight, which may enable investors to better evaluate whether the board is exercising appropriate oversight of risk. If this disclosure is not made, it could be a securities law violation and subject to and subject the company to fines, penalties, or profit disgorgement. From the Delaware cases, I believe that the board must not only have a corporate compliance program in place, but it must actively oversee that function. Further, if a company's business plan includes a high-risk proposition, there should be additional oversight. In other words, there is an affirmative duty for the board to ask tough questions. The specific obligations set out in the FCPA drive home the legal obligations that the Delaware State Court has articulated in both the Caremark and Stone B. Ritter case. So what are your three key takeaways here? Well, takeaway number one is the continuum from Caremark through Stone v. Ritter, it is that companies must exercise oversight of a compliance program. Number two, under the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program, there must be an appropriate level of board oversight and board involvement, but there must be more. There must the board must be part of setting the tone with compliance. And number three, do the board of directors actually receive enough information to exercise independent review, and are they provided that information? If you don't have those three components, the board of directors is setting itself up for a successful shareholder derivative action. We've not yet had had one regarding, <clears throat> or excuse me, an enforcement action against the board, but that does not mean that a board uh, can sit on its hands. Think back to the Walmart matter, which exploded on April 21st of 2012 when the New York Times broke the story of alleged bribes in Mexico on the front page. The question would I have asked and others have asked is where was the Walmart board prior to that time? they weren't aware of it, or worse yet, in the case of Volkswagen, where members of the Volkswagen board allegedly heard of the emissions testing scandal uh, literally from the newspaper, uh, really speaks to a board which has not received an appropriate level of information. Next up, prudent discharge of a board's duties under the FCPA. What are the obligations of a board regarding the FCPA? Are the obligations of the audit committee under the FCPA at odds with the director's prudent discharge of duties to shareholders. What do the words prudent discharge mean 
even though they do not appear in the FCPA. Answering these questions and perhaps others were Jeff Kaplan and Rebecca Walker in a webinar entitled, Reporting to the Board on Your Compliance Program. Kaplan pointed to the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines, which I discussed in Day 1, a 30 Days to a Better Board. And the questions posed by the Sentencing Guidelines are, do the directors exercise independent review of a company's compliance program? And two, are the directors provided with sufficient information to enable the exercise of independent judgment? Obviously, in the role of best practices, we do have the Delaware case law for oversight. But in addition to the two cases I named yesterday, the Walt Disney case draws the principle out that directors should follow the best practices in the areas of ethics and compliance. Melissa Aguilar, writing in Compliance Week, noted that companies which don't have the incentive to spend resources or take a rigorous approach to their anti-compliance program often can get themselves in trouble. And there must be written records demonstrating the audit committee and indeed the entire board has asked questions and received answers to anti-corruption compliance issues. This is one of the indicia of demonstrating fulfillment of prudent discharge. One of the areas that a company's board can do this is in the specific area of monitoring management and compliance. Clearly, a business must be managed uh, under the direction of the board. The board's role is not to manage the company, but to oversee and monitor the management of the company. The board of directors has the responsibility to fulfill the role of strategic and business advisor to the management of the company. In addition, a board has the role of monitoring the performance of the company and management, specifically including compliance. This is using the company's customary economic metrics and also by overseeing compliance with applicable laws and regulations. While the board is not responsible for the auditing or ferreting out of compliance problems, it certainly is responsible for determining that the company has an appropriate system of internal controls. A board should also monitor company compliance programs and practices that address legal compliance, government relations, and matters affecting public perception and reputation of the company. These final two are becoming more and more important, and if you think about any of the recent corporate scandals or the largest of the recent corporate scandals, none of which involved FCPA or anti-bribery corruption compliance, you'll see that it was the public perception and reputational damages which damaged the company, which caused the biggest problems. Obviously, Wells Fargo falls into that category. Volkswagen falls into that category. So uh, it is the reputation and public perception now that may be as important for a board to manage, or at least manage management's management, managing of those issues. Every company should ensure that its conduct, it conducts appropriate compliance training for employees and conducts regular compliance assessments. Finally, a board must take appropriate action if and, become, if and when it becomes aware of a material problem that it believes management is not handling. To do all of this, a board really needs to focus on the business judgment rule, which we talked about in day one, but also around the process that a board should go through. 
And it is this process which protects the board of directors through the business judgment rule. A board of directors must actively participate in the decision-making process and seek to inform itself of all relevant facts when considering a proposed board action or a compliance program program's effectiveness. The most important action a director can take when faced with a business decision is to be actively engaged in that decision-making process. When <clears throat> the directors take little or no action, they risk losing the protection of the business judgment rule because they are not exercising their prudent discharge of their duties. Directors that implement policies and procedures to ensure that the requirements of the business judgment rule are met will be generally protected from the liability from liability for their decisions. In the FCPA world, in greater anti-corruption compliance world, this is certainly not insignificant. If you think about this in the context of significant transactions, boards should seek to ensure that certain processes are built in to the record to show that the board has actively engaged in prudent discharge. Certainly if a company is op- opening a uh, new business unit, a bringing in uh, joint venture partners, or other strategic partnerships, uh, this should be considered. Directors should, among other things, adhere to the process which allows them to be informed in accordance with the requirements of not only the FCPA, but also their general duty of good care, and document the board's good faith efforts to exercise its business judgment. Under appropriate circumstances, the board can form an committee of independent directors to act on behalf of the board, hire a professional uh, advisor to issue a fairness opinion, or legal counsel to issue a legal opinion, or bring in other professionals as necessary to advise the board. An important prote- uh, exception to the protection of the business judgment rule is the failure to satisfy the duty of oversight by failing to prevent corporate wrongdoing. The business judgment rule usually does not apply to failure to protect and prevent cases since they are not challenging the decision or action of the board, but instead are a claim based on the failure of the board to take action. Failure of directors to prevent misstatements and financial statements also through violations of the FCPA or other anti-corruption compliance laws can be a key component of this. And depending on the facts, may not be covered by the business judgment rule. The key in these situations are, did the directors have a good faith duty to consciously satisfy themselves that the company had placed effective internal controls, monitoring, and reporting systems in place specifically designed to protect, excuse me, to detect and prevent the illegal conduct? So from that, you can clearly see the further expansion of the legal obligations that I set forth yesterday in day one. So what are the three key takeaways? Well, the first one is you have to understand the phrase prudent discharge of duties in and of itself. What does that mean and what are you engaging in this? Number two, do you have a specific board committee which is looking at compliance? 
We're going to talk about the details of that later in a subsequent podcast, but it's an important first step. And finally, number three, are you actively engaged? A company must be, a board of directors must be actively engaged, and there must be documented evidence that that active engagement has gone forward. So we spent a couple of days talking about the legal requirements for the board of directors and how those legal requirements might play out in various uh, scenarios. The obligations that a board has are going to be evolving, and as increased reputational risks bring greater damage to corporations who do not manage these, I think you're going to see additional shareholder uh, activity and additional shareholder awards going forward. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Across the Board. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about this unique podcast focusing on the board, strategic risk, and corporate governance. Also, if you have any questions on this, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Across the Board, and I hope you'll join me again when we take a look at another issue related to boards of directors. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.